0: Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch Podcast. The hard lockdownists and their allies in the Biden administration repeat the mantra as often as a chanting monk, follow the science, invariably before proposing some policy that continues the ongoing tyrannies ostensibly intended to reduce the burden of COVID-19. But What happens when the science conflicts with the permanent lockdown ideology, as it does over school closures? Then stakeholders get involved, and the science need not be followed. That is exactly what happened when the CDC issued its guidance that supposedly would lead to school reopenings, which conflicts with the teachers' union's position of lockdown today, lockdown tomorrow, lockdown forever. The New York Post and center-right group Americans for Public Trust obtained emails under an open records request showing the CDC and the American Federation of Teachers collaborated on issuing unnecessarily restrictive reopening guidance, with at least two of the union's proposals being issued by the CDC nearly verbatim. Joining me to discuss this special interest influence is Carrie McDonald of the Foundation for Economic Education. Uh, Carrie, before we begin, could you tell our listeners a bit about your work with FEE?
1: Sure, it's great to be with you, Mike. I know you've been covering uh, the teachers' unions in your shows lately, and uh, just as the latest example of, of their involvement in uh, the pandemic response. Um, yeah, I'm a senior education fellow at FEE, the Foundation for Economic Education, which is the country's oldest uh, libertarian think tank founded in 1946. And we focus on uh, individual freedom, free markets, prosperity, and peace.
0: Um, okay, so let's talk, talk us through what the AFT did in the CDC guidance process.
1: So the New York Post uh, broke this story on Saturday, May 1st, as you mentioned, um, getting detailed emails uh, through FOIA to find out, you know, what actually went on between the AFT and the CDC and the American Federation of Teachers is the largest, the second largest. Yeah, so union second largest, second
0: largest after the NEA.
1: Yeah. And and so what happened was there were a series of emails um, in February between uh, AFT representatives and CDC staff members. Some of these emails were forwarded to uh, CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky. Uh, there was uh, a, a planned phone call between uh, Walensky and AFT's president, Randy Weingarten. So a lot of collaboration. And apparently the way the story went is the CDC was planning on issuing re- school reopening guidelines to say that schools um, should be able to fully reopen for full-time in-person learning. Real schools. Uh, something, real school, something that, you know, has um, not occurred in many school districts uh, across the country. I, I, in fact, I live,
0: I live in the state of Maryland. We are, I think, third from bottom in getting our schools reopened, uh, which is an yeah. improvement from when we were bottom of the table for most, well, of, the, most of the year. <laughs>
1: right. Well, as of April 19th, only 47% of U.S. public school districts were open for full-time in-person learning. Uh, with most of the remaining districts doing some kind of hybrid model with some in-person and some remote learning. So, um, apparently and of course, CDC the New York
0: Times, the New York Times uh, you know, no den of free marketeering or other right-wingery came out sometime earlier this week uh, with a piece showing just how many up to 3 million students because of remote learning have just disappeared from school.
1: Right. Yeah, there's been just massive disruption in education, of course, family life over the past year. Um, and I think we'll get into this more. I know you've covered it in the past, but it's really a teacher union influence that at, certainly at the, the state and local levels has influenced school reopenings, in fact, more than any other factor. Um, Brown University researchers found last fall that it was politics and teacher union strength that was the prime reason um, to indicate whether or not a school district would reopen for full-time in-person learning. Um, Additional research that was just published in March in Social Science Quarterly by researchers Corey DeAngelis and Christos Macritas also concluded the same thing, saying this has nothing to do with science. This is all about how strong the teachers' unions are. Uh, it's completely politicized, and um, school reopening decisions are based on that, not based on any kind of community transmission rates or any kind of science. Yeah, evidence. Yeah, any,
0: any scientific, any virological evidence. It's just, you know, how, how much influence the teachers' union has.
1: Right. And so you would, you know, hope that the CDC would be above um, that kind of influence from a... a a lobbying group, a public sector union, but apparently they weren't. As I said, they were, according to the New York Post, planning on issuing guidelines that said uh, a full reopening of in-person. Learning I, I mean, makes I, mean sense I, I regardless I remember, of community I remember, transmission.
0: Yeah, I, I remember back when this was being debated that Dr. Walensky, uh, you know, come went on. I, I forget the program, but she she went on. She said publicly that. Um, you know, it was time to reopen at least elementary schools, and that they could reopen fully five days a week with, you know, that 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 the reopening could be secondary to their ability to maintain social distancing. Uh, and then, after she did this, from actually it was from the it was from the White House, from the White House podium. The next day, Jen Psaki, the spokesperson for the Biden administration, which, of course, is in office in large part because of the political efforts of the teachers unions. Uh, she said, "You know, uh, Psaki says that Walensky was speaking in her personal capacity, even though right. she was speaking as the director of the Centers for Disease Control from the White House."
1: <laughs> right. Well, and I think there's there's been so much uh, inconsistency uh, and back and forth throughout the c- CDC uh, over the past year. So this is just the latest example of that. But I think it, what was disturbing was that the CDC was apparently planning to issue these, this full-time in-person learning um, report or recommendation, and then they had these this email exchange. Um, members of the AFT con- uh, used the term "thought partner" in referring to the CDC. Uh, so there was definitely, you know, some hefty collaboration there. And like you mentioned, uh, ultimately the guidelines that were issued by the CDC used in some cases verbatim, nearly verbatim language um, based on those emails, um, talking about, you know, making sure that reopening decisions or staying open at, for schools would be based on community transmission rates. Uh, there were also some concessions in there about um, having the CDC indicate that teachers could continue to work remotely if they were considered um, in a high-risk category for uh, the coronavirus even, even or... though in ma-
0: even though in many states teachers have been prioritized for vaccination
1: exactly. And and, exactly and and i mean and i
0: mean at this point uh certainly in maryland virginia and dc which with which i am most familiar but i believe the entire country every adult american is eligible to be vaccinated
1: that's right. And of course, these um, recommendations were issued in February. February 12th was when the CDC ultimately uh, issued their recommendations. Um, these emails and phone call preceded that. Uh, so in addition to uh, encouraging the CDC to change their guidelines to talk about allowing for remote learning for um high-risk teachers, there was also uh, a stipulation in there that if a teacher lived in a household with a high-risk person, that that teacher would also be uh, allowed to continue working remotely. And all of that language got incorporated into the February CDC um, guidelines for school reopening.
0: And and, and let's be clear that the, the extent to which the United States has shuttered public schools, ostensibly because of COVID, is completely out of line with international practice. That, that that's my understanding.
1: Yeah, a lot of other countries um, have prioritized school reopenings, um, including countries that have been hard hit by uh, coronavirus and, that, and that um, even
0: and the, and even ones that have had more more vicious lockdowns otherwise.
1: I think that's right. Um and in some cases, I mean, I think of England for as an example, has had hefty lockdowns. Um, and, and has shut their schools down for short periods of time here and there, um, over the past year. Um, but they've also prioritized full-time in-person learning. And in fact, um, even, uh, children under 12 don't even have to wear masks in schools in England, um. So there's just been a lot of different policies coming out of different countries. And, and I think and, it does point to the influence of the teachers' unions here. And, well it's,
0: and, and again, because I know, I know in, in, again, in my case, I live in Maryland, I work in Washington, D.C., uh, you know, which are two state-equivalent jurisdictions with extremely powerful teachers' unions, so they have had pretty brutal school closures. You know, there are large parts of the country where schools have spent most of the past year open, Uh, Florida, Iowa, the Dakotas, Wyoming, um, you know, if you go to the Burbio school reopening tracker, you know, there, there's a lot more, uh, there, there's a lot more of the dark purple that indicates schools mostly open. Now, Maryland is not one of those states, uh, but, you know, places like uh, Texas, Mississippi, Kansas, Nebraska, Utah, Arizona, Georgia, the Carolinas. Uh, you know, the, 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 the ruthlessness with which the teachers unions have managed to keep schools closed in places like Maryland, places like California, places like Hawaii, places like New York State. Uh, th- this is not a universal national trend.
1: Right, and you can actually um, see in many of the teachers' union statements themselves um, these demands. I mean, last summer, the Los Angeles Teachers' Union um, raised eyebrows when they defund said the that Defund the police. They, no school went,
0: until we defund the police.
1: Defund <laughs> the police, uh, universal housing, uh, moratorium on charter schools, Medicare pass for the, all at the federal the, uh, level.
0: Pass the override of Proposition 13 to raise taxes. Raise taxes,
1: yes. <laughs> Um, and then more recently, the Los Angeles Teachers Union fought um, for and won uh, child care subsidies for their teachers um, to reopen. And that was something that uh, a lot of uh, parents and citizens um, really balked at because here they because said, they have, yeah, have... because
0: the, the parents have had to arrange child care because of the teacher strike um, for the past year and then the union's getting bailed out.
1: Exactly. And so now, right, so teachers are now saying, well, we'll go back to work, but only if you give us uh, child care subsidies. But they won that. And so it just shows the, the strength of teachers unions, as you mentioned, in particular parts of the country. Um, and, and I think another point to remember, too, is that private schools have been able, for the most part, to stay open for full-time in-person learning. I mean, I, mean course, I, I, know,
0: I know in the state of Maryland, the uh, there were a couple of counties, my county, Anne Arundel, and Montgomery, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C. that is famously high-income, high-educated, very liberal. Um, and the governor, who has spent most of the past year, Governor Hogan, who spent most of the past year saying that my hands are tied, I can't do anything, I am the least powerful man in state government, uh, he, he overrode the, the counties that wanted to make sure the private schools stayed closed. Uh, Now, he didn't do it for the rest of the rest of the parents of the state, but he did manage to uh, to come down in this one instance.
1: Yeah, I mean, but I think it's what's interesting is that a lot of um, parents are really voting with their feet and you've seen this sort of exodus from district schools uh, nationwide. Over the past year, um, with the majority of states uh, indicating that they've had enrollment declines um, that are related specifically to school closures or yeah, I think it was I think it was Arlington
0: County, Virginia yesterday announced that their enrollment had declined by eight percent.
1: It could be. Certainly in certain cities, that's the case. I know in Arizona, overall statewide uh, public school enrollment was down 5% this year. Here in Massachusetts, where I'm located, it's down 4%. Um, and families are choosing private options or they're choosing homeschooling. The, the rate of homeschooling has um, tripled since pre-pandemic levels to now roughly 5.7 million U.S. students or over 11% of the overall K-12 school age population now being homeschooled.
0: And and I think uh, you know, and then there's public policy that has been uh, you know collectively bargaining uh, these te- these obstinate teachers unions. Uh, I know uh, you you mentioned earlier with his research on um, on union power and how it has correlated with school closures. Corey DeAngelis, uh, who's been campaigning uh, for. Uh, for funding students instead of systems. And he's been pointing, he's been uh, been taking note of all the states that have been expanding their various state-sponsored school choice programs. I know West Virginia passed a very expansive uh, school choice program. What are some of the other states that have taken action?
1: Yeah. Right now, more than two dozen states have active school choice legislation to, as you say, uh, fund students instead of systems. Support overall for school choice policies um, is through the roof over 70 percent of taxpayers supporting school choice policies, which would be things like education savings accounts, tax credit scholarship programs, voucher programs uh, that allow a portion of per pupil funding to follow the student. And I think a lot of parents who may never have really thought much about school choice policies before or never thought that they really Impacted them, yeah, they, are now I mean, they, saying, they thought, "Hey, in, my I'm schools in, are closed. I want right." I mean, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm in a good, I'm in a good suburban school district. This doesn't matter to me. Oh wait, my schools have been closed for 14 months. Help.
1: <laughs> yeah, and taxpayers saying the same thing. You know, why are we funding these schools that are uh, not open or only partially open? Uh, let's give that funding back to the parents. Uh,
0: so, before we break, uh, do you have anything that you'd like to promote or that you're working on uh, over at FE?
1: Yeah, actually, right now, I'm focused on um, opposing President Biden's American Families Plan, particularly uh, his push for universal preschool programs. I have an article today coming out at feed.org about that.
0: Because exactly what we need to do after teachers' unions have totally derailed the education system for 14 months is give them even more of an education system to derail.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I'll be on C-SPAN tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Eastern talking about uh, opposing this plan.
0: All right. Uh, Thank you again for joining us, Carrie McDonald. That is our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week.